Welcome back, listeners, to a new episode of The New Standard, as always. My co-host on the left, and I heard a weird cough from somewhere. It's a, it's a sensitive mic. Yes, I heard a weird cough. We have we have some non-COVID illness going through the Kulong household. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, wait, whoa, where did that come from? Anyway... Welcome, everybody, to the program, to the latest episode of The New Standard. I want to thank everybody for hopping on today. Hopefully, uh, everybody is starting their holiday or their Christmas vacations. Uh, I know I'm going to see Spider-Man very soon after I do this particular program. So I hope you guys are having a fantastic vacations, that you're having them, and hopefully your vacation week We'll start in the right way with a very peculiar victory from the Pittsburgh Steelers. And before we jump into that, because it was an ugly win and is a testimony to the adage, style points do not matter. We'll just take the victories. And that was one of them. And I'm sure Steeler Nation, Mike Tomlin and Pittsburgh Steelers are very happy that they came out. On top, and I'm laughing at Double H, who started us off right with Bah Humbug. Uh, bah Humbug, and happy Festivus to all of you as well. I wasn't a Seinfeld watcher, but I'm aware of Festivus, so I'll just drop the Festivus uh, like I was a Seinfeld watcher. I'll fake the funk. Before we jump into the show, make sure you hit us with a like and subscribe on YouTube. You can also find the show on all of the podcast platforms, Google, Apple, Spotify, whatever podcast platform you choose to, to use, you can find the new standard. So do a search for us in the new standard and Pittsburgh Steelers, and you will find us. Also, want to give a big shout out to show sponsor, Good Dads versus everybody. And to start off the program, we want to jump into Neil's number because we've got to get into some numbers to peel back just how peculiar of a victory this was and how you probably will never see the Pittsburgh Steelers when you hear some of these numbers win a game when the numbers looked this mixed, and I'll say mixed, <laughs> just because they won the football game. Break into your first number, Neil. Yeah, really, and it, we could go a, a lot of different ways with this. I you won't you will not see many NFL games with as many catastrophically bad stats for a winning team. Many of these are what you'd see in a normal game and be fatal for the team. The Steelers had several of them and still managed to pull out a win. Um, these are are I wouldn't say in chronological order, but just for the sake of a, a, a full transparency of it. Uh, the first one for me is two for 11 on third down, which is really bad. That's almost always associated with the losing team. Um, certainly not with a team that uh, ends up racking up a lot of points. Even 19 is probably uh, more than what you would expect for, for nine failed third down conversions. That's, that's nine punts. That's the end of nine drives um, it, to, to some degree. I mean, yes, you can go four and fourth, but, the bottom line is you weren't able to convert the overwhelming majority of uh, your your critical downs as far as uh, down and distance go. Let me let me add to that, Neil, before you jump into your next number, the difference in third down efficiency in the game. Yeah. Tennessee was eight for 18, 44 percent, which isn't great, but it's respectable. Yeah, it's but when you can when you compare that to two of 11. And the difference in third down efficiency being about 35%. That says it all. Jump into your next number, Neil. After that. Wait one second. As I'm looking at the final team stat, there's a stat that jumps out. If you guys are familiar with the game book that's just beneath that, that's absolutely astonishing. It almost make me it almost made me spit out my coffee as I was looking at. The, uh, the next stat I went into, and this is not entirely related, but it's at least kind of related, the fact that Najee Harris's long run of seven yards boosted him, boosted him to 18 yards in the game. That means he had 11 carries for 11 yards in this game overall. We saw the disastrous one on, on the final drive where a touchdown would have won it, and essentially his decision 
uh, to bounce out and try to get wide and lost them. I think it was four yards on the play and, and made the, uh, that was on a second down run that made that, that final field goal. I'm going to get to that in a second. Um, potentially uh, unmakeable if not for uh, the excellence of the Steelers place kicker, but that in conjunction with the fact that the Steelers had four takeaways, which is almost always a winning stat. And I'm, I'm, that's going to mean something here in a second, almost always a winning stat plus four in the takeaway column. The Steelers were that three forced takeaways. One was a, a, a center QB exchange that went wrong. And then, you know, fortunately Cam Hayward and TJ Watt happened to, to fall on the ball. Not something you can really credit the defense with, but they did get uh, the takeaway. And uh, you put on that the fact that the Steelers had, with a plus four turnover advantage, 20 minutes and 52 seconds of possession. 20 minutes, 21 minutes, call it that, of a 60-minute game when they had a plus four takeaway advantage. That means the Titans gave away four possessions. And the Steelers had, I think, like two drives over three minutes in length. I mean, it, it was – you don't see teams winning games with those kinds of numbers. That's a complete and total dominance defensively and offensively for the, the team with 20 minutes. You couldn't move the ball, and the ball was moved on you throughout the entire game. Let me add to, to those numbers that you gave to, give, to break it down um, even a little more granular. If you compare those numbers, the rushing numbers, to Tennessee – <laughs> and even if you take out Ryan Tannehill's 18-yard scamper, they ran it 42 times for 201 yards to the Steelers 17 times for 35 yards. The Steelers averaged in this football game 2.1 yards per attempt rushing. So Najee bad. Harris's so 12 bad. of 18 he averaged 1.5 yards per carry. Now, let me break that down even more. They ran it 17 times. The wide receivers ran it twice for <laughs> 17 yards. So they got it all. <laughs> so the wide receivers almost got half of the 35 on two carries. It took Najee Harris, like you said, 11 carries for 11 yards and and let's jump into the other number that you talked about when you talked about time of possession the Tennessee Titans had the ball 39 minutes and eight seconds to the Steelers 20 minutes and 52 seconds that's almost a difference of 20 minutes it's a quarter and a third a quarter and a third of the game quarter of the game that they did not have the ball to the Tennessee Titans. And also the number that jumped out to me as well. The Titans ran it or had they ran 78 plays to the Steelers 45 plays. I've never seen <laughs> a team run well I'll take that back. Seattle has been running like 45 to 42. Yeah less than 50 plays a game this year, but running 45 snaps in an NFL game is absolutely incredible. And to win is even more incredible. To top that, the Steelers had 168 net yards. They passed the ball in the 20th century or the 21st century. The ball is passed. You do not run it every single play. 168 yards. Last but not least, when you look at the additional four possessions that the Steelers got in this game, 12 possessions, 19 points. They averaged about so you know, 1.6 points per possession. I mean, these numbers show you that in a football game you have a great chance to win a game if you get turnovers and you don't turn it over and it's hard for me to place it or place my mind and wrap my mind around it when I try to think about what's the the most significant stat in a football game other than points 
Uh, when you have more points than the other team, you win the game. Obviously, you play to win the game. But turnovers, I mean, turnovers are such a critical stat in a game that you could see in this game, without the turnovers, they get dump trucked. Without the turnovers, yep. they're going to get beat by two or three touchdowns. That, that's Cincinnati level. It, well, I, I'll, I'll say this. It, Tennessee clearly did not have the desire to really get the ball downfield. They weren't looking to make big plays a lot. They knew that they had an advantage running the ball, and they were going to run the ball. The level of dominance uh, would not have been reflected the same way as it was in the loss to Cincinnati, but the play on the field would have looked a lot like it, if not for those turnovers. That's it, 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 Again, I can't emphasize this enough. To get four extra possessions on your opponent, and to score 19 points, to have the game close by the end, uh, the numbers all indicate that this game did not end in a, a, a reasonable manner at all. This simply should not have happened. Um, and it's you, a win is a win. That's great. But this is one of those games. And the Steelers seem to have one of these every year that they had no business winning. And really, that, that's my biggest takeaway here, Lance. It, it's the Steelers had no business winning this game. They should not have won this game. Um, they made plays when the Titans didn't defensively in particular. You know, and we'll talk about it later on the show when we talk about, you know, why Steeler games have become a tale of two halves. And, and, and I find it interesting because every game becomes start off bad, play better second half, Start. It's it's these weird stops and starts in games, but but to Neil's point, there's no such thing as a should in a ball game. The other thing I want to jump to before I jump into my point is our penalties. There were some key penalties in this game. Uh, the personal foul call against Ben Roethlisberger when he got hit. Uh, when he got, I think he got hit in the head, possibly. He got um, hit in the leg on the the one right. the call they did make. They didn't call right. one. He got yeah, he got in hit the, in, the in the head. Uh, the personal foul call, there were some penalties that aided the Steelers in this game as well. Uh, but but this was a very, very, very peculiar game because I watched the game, you know, minus some of the emotion of watching it live because I watched the game on NFL Game Pass, which was great. I felt really invigorated and energized because it only took me 40 minutes to watch the game <laughs> while all of you watched it in three and you a half suffered hours. a lot less. <laughs> I suffered a lot less. I'm watching the game, and it's funny. By watching the game afterwards and knowing that the Steelers won, I kept watching the game thinking to myself, how did they win? Oh, there's the turnover. I, like, I kept watching the game, watching Foreman run up and down the field, them doing whatever they wanted on offense, and I was like, uh, there they go. Uh, they won the game. And to Melvin's point, before I jump into my other point, and big up, Mel. Um, Mel wrote, I don't understand why Tennessee didn't just keep running the ball other than a fumbled snap. Those turnovers were from passing plays. They, I mean, you have to mix it up and you have to have some diversity on offense, but he brings up a really good point. They were having a ton of success running the game, and the only thing that the Tennessee offense couldn't do, and that was a credit to the Pittsburgh Steelers, and let's mention it right now, congratulations to T.J. Watt for breaking the Steelers' single-season sack record is uh, the Steelers were getting adequate pressure. I would say even more than adequate pressure. The Steelers were getting a lot of yeah. pressure on Ryan Tannehill. Their front was playing ball. Um, and you wrote something in our chat. The Steelers just aren't going to be able to stop the run based on the personnel that they have out there. They're just not going to yeah. be able to do it. Uh, some of it is physical. Uh, some of it is between the ears. They're not. They're, they're just not going to be able to stop the run. There's just no way you would have this many games at that level uh, below standard uh, if, if you don't have a pretty significant personnel issue. Um, Isaiah Bugs was out again. I, I, I know that that's not, uh, it, it's not exactly, you know, putting Casey Hampton in the middle of that line, but he's a lot better than the guys they have in there. They're, they're simply just not getting it done. Um, I think, in my opinion, I thought Cam Hayward played pretty well in this game. Um he did some things, but he is not the same player he was seven weeks ago. And I'm pretty sure it's because he had to be uh, more than a Super man bad. for the first half of the season. And he's worn out. 
You know, I, I don't think he has anything left. And they, they just don't have the dudes around him to do much more than that. Uh, Watt, I thought, did, Watt makes plays. He comes up with plays. He's, he's good at that. It was mentioned in the comments as well. Looked like he got held maybe a little bit more uh, often than he usually does. He didn't look as explosive as you kind of hope that he is. I think he's still dealing with, with some lingering injury issues. They don't have anybody else uh, making plays in the front seven. Um, Joe Schobert, credit to him. He made a nice play. I thought he looked a lot better. Um, Devin Bush appeared to be more engaged in this game than he has been. Um, overall, though, just a, a really, really tough uh, run defensive performance. And uh, on top of that, you have to weigh equally the fact that they came up with three forced takeaways. Again, the fourth was really just kind of luck, but um, a luck in uh, luck in the way the ball bounced. It happened to be that I, I think I don't I don't know who they gave credit to. I think they gave credit to Watt, but Watt and Hayward got there a, a nanosecond before the Titans player did. So it, they they had a lot of success in terms of taking the ball away from the opponent, which is the absolute, and this game proves it, the absolute critical thing to do in today's NFL. You have to take the ball away. This game proves it's not about how many yards you give up. It's about taking the ball away. It's about getting to the quarterback, uh, even in the situations they're going to run. 40 rushing attempts is a lot of runs. I, I've never heard after a game they should have run the ball more when they, when they run 40 times. They had a lot of success with that. Their turnovers were coming on receivers that couldn't hold on to the ball down the field, you know, for whatever reason. Uh, Schobert tipped the pass. I, I'm forgetting off the top of my head who made the interception. Um, it, it wasn't it wasn't I forget, but somebody help me out here. Um, you you see a lot of good things stacking with the bad things for the Steelers defense right now, and and more than anything, and I don't think we're going to get into this today, but it, it goes to show um, a pretty clear draft priority list for them and they need other guys not just the draft either it's free agency they're going to need to get guys that can play immediately uh let's I, I, let's digress really quickly jump into that break that down a little bit don't don't tease us with that neil and before before you talk about the draft priorities that are becoming pretty clear so i want you to break into that real quick want to give a big shout out to the steelers wire for hopping in steelers wire play yeah showbert got the pick i was thinking of of the fumble showbert made the big push on the the guard that kind of altered the it, it, it threw Tannehill's timing off a little bit. It was a great play. And then the pass was caught, turned around. And I, I think it was uh, Cam Sutton that was tackling him and knocked the ball loose. The Minka recovered. Then there was the, the Schobert interception. Um, yeah, flautas. Off, uh, of, off of tacos. I can't come up with a taco pun. Flautas Mitchell. Why. No, it was flautas or enchilada Maxwell tipped it. And uh, Joe <laughs> Schobert, uh, you know, I'm going to call him every Mexican dish possible. Uh, Manudo, Manudo Brown, uh, he tipped it. Uh, Pasole Maxwell, um, also tipped it. Uh, oh, but let me jump into the number real quick before you jump into the draft priorities. Before we digress, real quick, I also want to point out that the Steelers wire pointed out a great stat that the Steelers only had one offensive drive, uh, that lasted over three minutes. Yeah, which is incredible were right around too. <laughs> you know, they had drives of 137, 106, 134, 155, 211. Um 18 seconds I won't count that. That's the end of the half. Uh one, you know, 116, 226, 156, 207. 27 seconds on downs to end the game. Absolutely incredible that you have 14 <laughs> drives and you had a ball 2052. That is just that is just unreal. But after all of this, I, I think that Steelers freak says it best. Steeler football, four takeaways and winning by six. That's my Steelers. And the most important number is W's and wins. But to our point, if you're a coaching staff and you're looking at this, you know that this isn't sustainable. You're just, no. you know, you know, you just got two hands on the steering wheel and you're just hoping to praying that the car doesn't go off the tracks. But your ability to win football games is really compromised uh, when you play like that. And uh, big up to uh, Builder's Life for hopping in who wrote, my God, the defense really held it together. The offense is deplorable. Um, and, and nice uh, image. Uh, Builder's Life is uh, looking like a, uh, a male, big man, male model, uh, uh, big and tall model uh, with, with, with the nice jacket. That might be the best profile pick of any of us. Um, but 
you know, it's 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 this was just a very, 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 very peculiar game. And um, it's one that they're going to have to absolutely improve on uh, when they go to Kansas City. But jump into what you were saying, how when you look at these ball games, how it starts to clear what I think is a murky picture in terms of needs for a football team that needs everything, in my opinion, where I don't think you can go wrong. You know, I think the draft and we're jumping a little bit ahead, obviously, in 2022 is a you know, is a Tarzan draft. You just need a bunch of Tarzans on this football team that can play all over the field because they have some areas and issues all over the field. But what were you thinking about when you made that comment about the draft picture clarifying itself? I I think they need exactly what you said. They need guys who are in position to make plays. And the, the problem here is, and that this falls under sexy tanking, the way that this is kind of going astray, I think, is because... I don't think they anticipated such a, a, a fall off of play from their defensive line and their, their inside linebackers. In other words, the middle of their front seven, it has been so bad. There's no way they can't address that. They're going to have to address it again in free agency. And that means you're, you're letting Joe Schobert walk. I don't think there's any way in the world you can keep him at, at his contract. Uh, or if you would even want to, you need to find a guy that can play though. This can't be, um, course i can't think of his name john bostic you have to go out and get a player at that spot um i right now honestly can you say you can pick up devin bush's option i don't think that you can no so that shows right there they're not gonna have faith in that so you you have um a, a future need at the possession as well that means draft picks if the steelers have to use a second round pick on an inside linebacker that's that's trouble that's bad but i don't know what the solution is going to be they need two of them, and they don't even have a Vince Williams anymore. We have no idea what Buddy Johnson can do. It, it, they're, they're going to have to invest in the position. That means dollars and or draft picks, and that, that's not something they needed to address. On top of that, Cam Hayward, I, again, I don't know how much he's going to have left. I honestly think he could have taken games off the end of his career with how hard he had to play earlier in the season. We are starting to see a regression. Now, he's got time left on his contract. He's not getting cut. He's going to be out there. I just don't know how much more effective he's going to be moving forward. We don't need to once again talk about Stefan Tuitt. We have no idea what's going to happen with Stefan Tuitt, but we know if he, if he is out there, he's doing it after not playing for a year, and who knows where he's going to be with that. Tyson Alualu, there is no way that they're going to risk taking him back again. He's been injured for the vast majority of the last two seasons. He's not coming back. Isaiah Bugs, is, is he the solution? Is that what you're going to tell me? Chris Warmley, I think, has done pretty well, but he's not yes. you know, yes. a long-term option. They need premium guys there, too. So that's on top of the fact that they're possibly losing Juju in free agency. You're not entirely sure what they're going to do with their wide receivers, but you know, an extension for Deontay is one thing. We've talked about Chase Claypool. I'm not going to bring him up again, but who knows what you have with that. Uh, your offensive line is something that everyone screams about on a daily basis. You clearly need to address that um, to a point. At least you're going to have to bring in at least one tackle and at least one guard, whether that's corner. draft or free agency. And you need a corner because hey, and gone. you're going to need a corner. <laughs> and that's assuming. Keep in mind, here's the thing. Um, how many non sequiturs can I give you in a row there? The issue with let, let's go back to the decision uh, to, to cut Steven Nelson. I said on this show, cut, keep, or extend that one of those options, and all three of them are on the board for both Hayden and Nelson. They were going to have to make decisions on both of them. One's going to stay, one's going to be extended or cut. There's Cap-wise, there was no way they were going to be able to mitigate both of them on a $13 million cap number for this season. They had to do something. My opinion, and we'll never know, but my opinion was – they discussed an extension with Steven Nelson. Steven Nelson rightly and fairly wanted market value, which is probably around 14 or 15 million for this season. That would not have lowered his cap number for this year. The Steelers weren't going to be able to make that work. Couldn't find a trade partner. So they cut him and saved the $8 million against the cap. I'm not sure if that's the move they wanted to make. They had to make one of them and they, they stuck with Hayden. They didn't change Hayden's contract at all. As as we know, it's you know Hayden has said he he's not getting an extension now. Who knows what's going to happen there? Um, it's not impossible they don't bring him back, but if they don't, you're looking at Cam Sutton in the final year of his contract and who? 
Who am I forgetting here? James Pierre, the guy who yeah, just got back. James Pierre, yeah. Akila Witherspoon, the guy whose contract is up. Um, it, you, you, you want to talk about a slot corner? Variable could be Trey Norwood. I think he's more of a safety. He's more of a, a, a utility defensive back. They don't have a top three cornerback spot. That's another free agent you're going to need to go get. They're not going to draft a rookie and go in and have him go in and play. That that just simply isn't going to happen. Um, for okay, that means my opinion. It's not that going means to they're look. They're, that means they're looking for a corner in free agency. Now, what what's the commonality of all of these things, Lance? Most of these are premium positions, meaning premium. You have to scour it, what's available out there, and you're going to have to to you know ignore some warts of the guys that you're going to have to bring in. That's an Arthur Mallette. Is Arthur Mallette going to save the secondary next year? I don't think so. I don't. I, I'm not saying he's terrible per se, but it's going to be a guy on his level in that cost range. A kilo Witherspoon costs you a draft pick, and the Steelers hate their fifth round draft pick anyway. They, so much they've traded it out for the next three years now. I think they brought Witherspoon in at a reasonable contract. He's a free agent next year. You don't know what's going to happen there. The point is they're going to bring in new guys to play in their secondary because the only guy they have set is Cam Sutton, who has one year left on his contract. And that one year is a lot more expensive than it was this year. So let's not let's not forget that uh they have an issue at safety too with Edmonds. Yep. And Edmonds, it you know, it, the market for safeties is is going way up. And it, it's interesting because where they are cap wise, <laughs> will you <clears throat> yes, exactly, Ali. Ali Howard species five six one eight says you, you so near my thunder. You you're stole saying my thunder. We're not just a quarterback away. <laughs> My big conclusion to all this was going to be, oh, yeah, and right now Mason Rudolph is your quarterback, and you only have one of them signed. So <laughs> you need two quarterbacks this offseason as well. Keep that in mind. Um, it's it's tough. They've got a lot that they're going to need to do. And I, I'm not saying uh, this goes against what we've talked about all year, Lance, but holes have revealed themselves where we did not expect there to be holes. And that's really what the, the meat of the problem is going to be. We knew they needed to address cornerback. We knew that they were going to need to address the defensive line somehow or other. Those things are not so much problematic. Um, the offensive lineman, somebody's going to have to come in. Um, Banner, Banner's absolutely not coming back. There's no way they're letting Banner and, and Cam Sutton signed almost identical contracts, uh, contracts that were very light in year one, a little bit heavier in year two with void years attached to it. So they could get them through to this year. Neither one of them could look at that contract and say, I'm guaranteed a second year. I think they'll keep Sutton. There's no way they can keep Banner. So, again, they're going to need another offensive tackle. I think that's a position they're going to need to address in the draft. Um, you get Joe Haig in free agency. You know, I understand that Teron Armstrong from, from the Saints might hit free agency. That's a big dollar guy. The Steelers aren't going to spend that for a tackle. They never have. They, they just won't do that. If they're going to spend anywhere, it's another position I didn't address. It's guard. They're going to sign a long-term right guard, in my opinion. That That's going to be the most value um, that fits their way of doing things the best. You know, Three, four-year deal for somebody fairly well-known, um, not not a massive you know top-of-market contract, but they're going to get somebody and it's going to be on the first or second day of free agency. You know, I think the Steelers, in my, in my perception of the Steelers and knowledge of the Steelers, they're going to build up the middle. And I think you're absolutely right with the guard. They're going to get an interior defensive lineman. They will be looking at inside linebacker. And I would not be surprised, you know, in free agency, maybe you get another impactful safety, possibly, um, but cheaper. Yeah, gonna have you, know, to. you know, something like a Ryan Clark, somewhere like that, where you bolster your team through the middle. Um, and, and so, and, and when they get the guard, I wouldn't even be surprised if, if they dip back in the draft for an interior lineman as well to try to possibly move Kendrick Green away from center to play a guard. Uh, here's a, another couple interesting numbers. Sorry. Steelers wire. This is a great comment. <laughs> Take the hostages and kick the volunteers. Yeah, yeah. I, that, that policy might have to change next year. I'm not sure. I don't uh, – it's oh. – it, 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 I'm not saying that these things are impossible. I'm saying that this is now shaping into another situation where they're going to have more current and longer term needs than they're going to have picks. It doesn't mean that they're not going to get good players. I think they're going to have they, they, they have the opportunity, like every team does, to get a great draft. And I really think that this draft was really good for them, for what they needed to do. 
And this is going to build on it. But again, the biggest thing here is all of this, everything that I just said, didn't even mention the quarterback. So yeah, drafting yeah. a quarterback at, you know, let's say they end up at 15. That just kind of seems like that that's the direction they're headed. Maybe a little bit higher even. I don't know who they're going to get, but you're not usually getting the quarterback that you're going to start at like 18 overall. You know, if, if the guy can start right away, he's going top 10. That's just the way it works. You guys heard Larris in, 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 in the comments. Steelers freak put Harvin on offensive line. He is ass as a punter. Let no, me, let me, I don't get that at all. I really don't. I, let me, you know, I don't claim to be a football expert, Lance. I just know punting in and of itself, there's not a, a, a special trait that you have to learn from college to the pros. The game moves at roughly the same speed. You're kicking a, a different ball, but you're still kicking a ball. The ball is not the difference of, of like 15 yards net on your punt. And with, with Harvin, he is so incredibly erratic. I don't understand what they're doing to him. I don't know what happened. I don't know what the problem is. But you don't draft a guy to kick a 27-yard punt from you know, your own You know what you like you know you bring yesterday. up a you bring up a good point. It, it feels like with Harvin, it's something with the coaching because. That's you don't get drafted it's, it's to kick. Weird. Like you, you don't, don't do get, anything to you change somebody like, that much. Like you don't get drafted to punt if you can't no. punt, right? No. So if anything, you need to be consistently over forty-one at at most. With a you know, call it four-second hang time. Harvin was above board in all of those areas. Harvin was absolutely the kind of punter that's going to get drafted. It's not surprised. It, it it shouldn't be seen as much of a surprise that he was. Now he's not the kid from San Diego State. Honestly, probably a, a second-round draft pick. That kid is incredible. He is he is a phenomenal punter. Harvin's a good punter. He's not that level at all. And the difference in their their draft position is, is going to be apparent to that. But this kid coming into the NFL, unless there's something wrong with yeah, with, with his body, there. unless there's something wrong that they didn't know about, there's no reason he should be as inconsistent. Yeah, as and, they should and, not and, be training him in a way that made it worthwhile to draft him because punting is not a position. You can learn on the fly. A linebacker, a running back, Najee is a good example of that. A good base. This is going to be his worst year by far and away. This will be his worst year. He's going to progress. He's going to get better. You can't do that as a punter. You need to be a dude right when you walk on the field. That is the only reason you would draft him. Yeah, so what's Steelers. going on? What are you doing to him? I, yeah, I don't understand. Yeah, it. yeah, that feels like maybe they're in his head something. I, like, yeah, I don't know. Steelers freak is hilarious today. He said, there are dudes in my 55 over community that can still give you 26 on weed and beer. You'd need it. <laughs> You'd need it to kick like that. Let me give a shout out to Steelers Wire, who's coming up with some very interesting stats. And while he was giving me a couple of a couple of numbers, he posted them in the comments. I can't go back and pull them up. Sorry about that, Steelers Wire. He brought up an interesting comment before we jump into another segment of the show. Chase Claypool, two targets, zero receptions for 12 yards. And I'm confused. I know I watched the game, but I'm confused of how he got 12 yards and no receptions. That that stat line is weird. Maybe there was a play, something, because he got one rushing attempt for seven yards, but he got zero receptions for 12. But anyway, two targets, zero receptions, 12 yards. This is weird. For a long of 12, he's kind of shifted spot. It, it, was this a punishment for him? Because when I see a game when James Washington got five targets, I feel like maybe that was a punishment game. Uh, I mean, I mean that's weird that Claypool only got 12, two targets in the game. Excuse me. Any thought to that? I mean, because that kind of – that kind of well, that one's clang off your hands the way he did. I, it, the first one, it, it's funny. There, there's a, a conversation going on in social media right now regarding uh, the, the difficulty of that first one. I think it was in the first drive maybe. Um, ben put it up kind of back shoulder, I think uh, 12 down the field, something like that. Um, Claypool went up for it, two defenders on him. That's a really tough catch. Um, you hope – your guy can get it. I think Ben threw a good pass. The, the ball was there. The play could have been made. Uh, the defender's right on him, though. It looked to me like he, he knocked it away. Claypool fought all the way to the, the ball hitting the ground and almost had it. I, I wouldn't call that one a drop. I just think, you know, going back to, to the stat that you had, Lance, uh, 41 plays or whatever it was. I don't think there was an issue so much with Claypool as it was an opportunity. 
Uh, Deontay Johnson only had five catches. You know, this this was not a good offensive game. They, they didn't possess the ball. They didn't move the ball. Uh, pretty hard to get guys targets when you only have 40 plays in a game. I, I don't think it's it's Claypool as much as it is the lack of opportunity um, in this game. But uh, he didn't get it. Claypool did not get a catch, right? Because he, he had the two targets. He dropped. Yeah, one. he did not get a catch. He, he dropped one and the other one he went up with with two defenders and wasn't able to, to secure it. Um, obviously not a good drop, not the end of the world, though. You'd like him to make that play, but it, it's not. Yeah, and gonna... Steelers Wire, big up the Steelers Wire again, just killing it today on the show. Uh, he said the pass to McLeod, I believe, who lateraled it back to him, and so he got the yards but no reception. And that Do makes sense. Do I not remember that play? If that happened. I mean, they only ran 40-something plays, so it probably didn't stand out. It probably stood like it was just a weird play. And that's just indicative of just how weird this game was. The last number I want to give you is the Steelers had 65 second half yards. (laughs) They got like, I think, 103 in the first half. They finished with 68 net yards. (laughs) And so, yeah, they finished finished with 168 net yards. And in the first half, they had 103 net yards. So they got 65 net yards in the second half. At the end of the first half, they had 16 yards rushing. Uh, Najee Harris was four or six for one and a half yards per carry. And they had 92 yards passing. Ben was nine of 15. Um, And our thoughts and prayers go out to to Friar Muth. Uh, Hopefully he's healthy. He's gotten some concussion issues uh, the last couple of games, so hopefully he'll be able to clear uh, the concussion protocol and be able to play. But as we finish with those numbers, I think this is a nice segue into why have the Steeler games become a tale of two halves? Why have we seen this sort of disjointed type of football, this high variability where – they play halves. They don't look prepared. It seems as if something changes mysteriously. Whatever it is will change. They play a little bit better. You know, why aren't we seeing, in your opinion, you know, consistent football over the course of four quarters? Why are we seeing this kind of cat, this Merrill, uh, Calico, patchwork type football? I don't think they have many options. And I, I hate to say this because my Mike Tomlin cliche alarm is going off. But again, when you don't run many plays, there's not much you can do. Um, how many plays did the Titans have? Probably at least 60. 78. Right? 78 plays with four takeaways. 78 plays. You got to see a, a full complement of everything that they would want to do. When you draw up plays for a game, you're not even really drawing them up. When you're, you're installing your game plan, you, you might write new stuff. You might put other stuff in. But you're not practicing 90 plays in a game. You've got your, your base 15 that you'll, you'll rep, you'll run through a time or two during the week. You know that you can do those plays by and large, then you're going to run another, you practice another like 50 or so. You're not going into many games with 90 plays practiced. So when you get that high, it gets to a point where you either need to run the new stuff or run stuff that you haven't run um, or you didn't practice that week or you're drawing stuff up on the fly. Those things can happen. And it's usually a good thing when you're, you're running that many plays, but you get to see the full complement of everything that a team put together for that game. When you run that many plays, obviously it's the opposite. When you don't, you only have 40, they didn't run 25 plays that they practiced. So you didn't get to, to really draw into everything on top of it. They're going three and out in, in short yard. In, in one second, in one minute and 15 seconds. Yeah, exactly. They're they're three and out quick. This didn't work. Done off the field. Let the defense go back out there and and, and play. Um, the other stat I didn't get to was the fact that uh, Chris Boswell hit three of three in the second half. That's the game. If he missed, now, okay. Well, I I understand on the game he was four for five. It's really four for four. Attempting fifty seven at the end of the half is that's a hope and a prayer. That's not. I'm not counting that against him. Four field goals. If he missed one of those, one of the competitive field goals, they lose this game. Because Tennessee kicks, Pittsburgh's not winning that game in overtime. Okay, their offense couldn't do a thing. Tennessee was far more likely to get a field goal at some point in overtime than Pittsburgh was. Boswell hit 
mid to high 40s three times in the second half in Pittsburgh in December. I can't tell you how huge that is. Monstrous. And when we look at all of the drives that are 2, 205, 208, not going anywhere that result in points, the Steelers get 19 points on four field goals from Boswell. That's your game. Plus four in the takeaway column, and you hit four field goals. That's a that's a winning formula, despite the fact that every other stat is catastrophically bad. That's how they're able to pull that game away. You just won't see many games like that in the NFL. It's absolutely crazy. You know what's interesting? As you talked that out, Neil, and I was listening to you, <clears throat> their games are almost flipped, where although the defense is playing an exorbitant amount of snaps and the snaps are flipped in games. You see the defense look like an offense where the defense, because they're playing so many snaps, they start to play better in spots. They figure some stuff out. They figure how to get more consistent pass rush. They don't necessarily stop the run. Well, they'll stop it in some spots, but what you kind of see is, the defense finds its way in games because they're playing so many snaps that they figure out some ways to attack offenses a little bit better than they might have done initially from the initial game plan. So they can kind of morph and flow and kind of get into the game and find their groove when it's the opposite for the offense because they play so few snaps, they possess the ball, so little yep. time, they never find anything. They never get into that mysterious R word that we always talk about in football and in different sports, rhythm. They never find a rhythm. And Mr. and Mrs. Steeler fan, welcome to the show and welcome to the show, Pino. Welcome to all the new listeners to the program. It takes a while, and Mr. and Mrs. Steelers, because old man Ben need some time to warm up and start kind of getting into the game and getting into a flow and getting into a rhythm offensively. And I also think because their offensive line is so inconsistent, they're, they're trying to find some stuff. They're trying to find some stuff. And Dave, we're going to jump into Tomlin doesn't know what timeouts are. We're, we're, we're going to talk about that in the, yeah, I said it oh segment. We're going to, we're, we're, we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but let's let me ask you a question as we're starting to wind down the show. And I want to get some uh, some some involvement from uh, some thoughts on this question that I asked from people in the chat. And also, if you're listening to the pod, you can find the pod on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify. I want you to hit the show, the new standard pod at gmail.com, giving your thoughts on this as well. Now that TJ Watt has broken the Steelers' single-season sack record with 17, and TJ probably had 17 celebrations for every one of those particular <laughs> stats, be it half or team or whatever. Yes, and I'm kicking TJ just a bit. Um, and, and we'll jump into Steelers' wires question here. I want to I, I uh, highlight this question. We'll jump into his question because I want to get your thoughts on that one, Neil. Um, has TJ Watt surpassed James Harrison. Is he a better football player than James Harrison? What's your thoughts, Neil? Um, we could do a whole show on this. I, I would say this. I think Watt is, um, beyond the shadow of a doubt, a better athlete. Um, we, we see that quite clearly, and we have forever. Uh, the thing with Harrison is and that this is not something I think the younger generation is going to appreciate much. James Harrison was... At, at the very least, in the conversation, top two best run defensive edge players of his generation. Absolutely. DeMarcus Ware is the only guy that I would probably put on that level, and I think Harrison was probably better. They ran the ball a lot more back then. So Harrison's real impact wasn't just in rushing the passer. And this is also a game now that is throwing, on average, five times more a game than it used to. So... Watt does have the opportunities. Watt's job is is more to rush the passer than Harrison's was. So it, it's a tough comparison between the two, but black and white, if, if we're just looking at them for who they are, uh, Watt is the better pass rusher and Harrison's the better run defender. Both of those both of those traits for each of them goes pretty much the same for the entire league. 
they were better than everybody else in the league. Um, Harrison was defensive player of the year. I feel Watt is absolutely in that conversation again this year, which would be the third time. It doesn't happen very often, even Aaron Donald, to get votes for defensive player of the year three years in a row. And that's what Watt is looking at. There's absolutely no way he's not going to get votes. And he very well could win it. Um, we'll find out how the rest of this turns out. But 17 and a half sacks now. He's been uh, uh, upgraded. And that's, if I want to get into it, I'll yell about the NFL stat people and how they led to screw me up on, on Twitter oh, yesterday. And we but, missed uh, and we missed him celebrate that. He celebrated. He kicked his leg up. Which is why they gave it room. to him to begin with. The half sack, which is what technically broke the record, except they gave it to him and then took it back after I had tweeted it, after we had, had posted it on Steelers Wire. I didn't want to because it's like, that wasn't a half sack. Okay, that, that's not what a half sack is. And I don't want to waste time going into details on that. But a half sack, by definition, is two guys hit and the quarterback cannot go down without both of them in on the play. Cam Hayward had Tannehill wrapped up at the waist and was driving him forward. Watt got in the way, if anything. Watt was holding him up high. Watt was not a part of that sack. That was a Cam Hayward sack. Watt got the, the full sack uh, later on in the game. But that was after all of this. And the NFL stat people um, took away the half sack from Watt after they had given it to him. So at that point, he hadn't broken the record. The record wasn't broken technically until he had the full sack. I think that was in the fourth quarter, maybe the third quarter, um, somewhere in there. But since then, they've given it back to him. So he had a sack and a half yesterday, even though he shouldn't have gotten it. And they took it off and put it back on. And I don't know, it's annoying. To me, people like me get bothered by that kind of inconsistency. The bottom line is, um, yeah, the, the Steelers have played 14 games. Watt has not played 14 games. That was Watt's, really, I would say 13. He missed one, and he played less than half of two. So Watt, it, it, Watt is producing sacks and multiple sack games at a prolific level. And in my mind, I think that's the thing that, that is going to make him stand out more than, than any of his peers. Um, Harrison had 16 in 16, maybe 15. Um, it's it, tough to compare in that, that regard, but Harrison was a dominant edge rush defender. You could not run at James Harrison. You could not move that man off the line. He was fantastic at, at that role. Both of them, in my opinion, are worthy defensive players of the year in these particular seasons. Um, overall, I think, you know, and this gets into pedigree, Lance, but I, I just think TJ Watt is an ideal idyllic sized outside linebacker he is the explosive athlete that harrison wasn't harrison's advantage in terms of his size was he was short and he was really wide and insanely strong tackles couldn't handle him because he's just too small he ran under yeah, his dip and yeah. moved him out of the way so he was very flexible um it, it, you compare the two nobody would pick the, the makeup of harrison over watt we know that um that's why watt was a first round pick and harrison bounced around for seven years after college before he caught on somewhere but both of them were great players in in their times and in their moments i can't read steeler freaks comment but it is it, it's absolutely hilarious about Derek watt in, yeah, D, in, in dna that that's that's <laughs> pretty that's pretty <laughs> cold steeler Derek is the run to the litter <laughs> but if you're i'm sure he's run, heard that joke 10 million times and he's laughing with a three million dollar yeah if, yeah, if you're the run of the litter in the nfl you're, you're exactly. a great run let me let me comment on what you said and i, I think the outside linebacker position you know, I think you have to do both very well. It, and I think both players have been dominant players and will go down in Steelers lore. And I think when you compare dominant players, you have to, you know, you it, it's going to be really close, so you have to mince it somewhere. I, I think your point of setting the edge and the ability to be a dominant run player, run stopper as well, counts. And also, you just have to love the fear factor, and Mel said it, and, and to me, the fear factor that James Harrison brought to games, and you can't necessarily play in that fashion anymore, but the fear factor and the fear that he brought to teams, you know, the hit that James Harrison put on, um, what was the Browns quarterback? Colt um, McCoy. Colt McCoy, yeah, when his dad got mad <laughs> because Colt McCoy... Savage. You know, was, was puke it. I mean, that hit. Oh, I mean, that was so bad. I mean, 
James Harrison. <laughs> and my and so I'm saying James Harrison right now is better until TJ Watt wins defensive player of the year. Once TJ Watt wins defensive player of the year, I think he will surpass James Harrison because of the prolific yeah, I mean, amount it, of sacks just, that he's doing. And yeah, sacks are more valuable the, now. The, right. And it's it, again, I think it's an unfair comparison just because a lot of, of what made Harrison a great player, Watt didn't have to worry about. Watt barely played in college. Watt had pedigree that got him to be a first-round pick. There's a reason he fell to 30 overall. We all see him for who he is now, a, a, you know, a Watt brother, but that's all he had uh, heading into that draft. He barely played in college, and he wasn't great. He was coming off an ACL tear. Uh, great combine numbers, but you didn't have a whole lot of film. He was a risky pick in the first round. That's why he fell to 30. Harrison wasn't even close to being drafted, okay? He was, he was an undrafted tryout player, which means – he wasn't even signed as an undrafted player to go to rookie camp. He had to show up to rookie camp and, and try out to even get on a, a roster, then to survive training camp, then to play on the practice squad, NFL Europe, eventually play on special teams, show some things here and there, replace Joey Porter, just got kicked out for punching William Green in the head like he should have done, then playing well in that game, translating it to a, a very team-friendly light contract, then become defensive player of the year then get paid a bunch of money. It, it, the, his story is the exact opposite of TJ Watt, the exact opposite of it. So it, it, it's hard for me to, to compare the two that simply, you know, it, it's just yeah. not fair for, for Harrison. He's, he isn't 6'4", 255, running a 4'640". Harrison was it gen, it, it generously 5'10", 270 at the end of his career. Guy was a brick. With you know, guns, sitting on the line, completely guns, different player than Watt. Completely different player. With absolute guns, you talking about a guy you want to go to anywhere in a bar fight? Yeah, yep. man. Geez, <laughs> with absolute guns in a mean distance. Thoroughbred and, versus a Clydesdale, really. They they yes. both got the job done in their own ways, but Watt is clearly the the more gifted athlete, the more gifted, uh, pure football player. Harrison. Yeah had a, a very specific skill set, and he could work that better than anybody else. He was a tactician, great pass rushing moves. He knew how to, to make work what uh, he needed to to make plays. He could get lower to the ground than anybody, which is really what his value was, and he knew how to deliver a hit. The guy jarred fumbles like once a game. I mean, he, he was, James Harrison was legitimately one of my favorite players of all time to watch. And I'm probably hyping him up more than what history will show that he really was. But um, he earned defensive player of the year. I know history will do him well if for anything else, for his fantastic and the greatest defensive play in Super Bowl history. So history, history, you know, history will do him well. And that's the other thing is he played on a revolutionary defense, in my opinion, who won a Super Bowl. So history, and he made the biggest play in that game. And so history will always be favorable to James Harrison. And we'll end it with this. And I I think to some regards, you know, his story is is the American dream story to me, you know, just as much as Kurt Warner. I mean, those guys came from nothing and became legends, you know, NFL legends. Kurt Warner, of course, won a gold jacket. He's getting a movie. And that's the guy, the actor who's playing Kurt Warner, the Shazam dude. That's terrible. I wouldn't go see that movie just because of that guy. Exactly. I mean, come on, man. That guy looks corny as hell. He was Shazam. I mean, that's terrible. They could have found he's, somebody. He's perfect for Kurt Warner. I mean, that's nah, what you're talking just, about. Shazam? Come on, man. Kurt Shazam. Warner, oddly enough, Kurt Warner at, at uh, uh, when his time at Northern Iowa was done, he played in the Arena League for the, the Des Moines Barnstormers. And uh, my brother uh, was a baseball player at a school in Des Moines, and he would go to the Y to work out. And he I said, "You want to say they dated the same girl?" No, no, no. okay. Um, they Scott, my brother, would always tell me they they saw before he was anybody. They knew who Kurt Warner was. He was the Barnstormers quarterback, and they saw him go to the Y. And his uh, uh, workout routine was essentially he kind of lollygag around the gym. He threw like five balls. He lifted a couple dumbbells and then he went and played basketball 
and he wasn't a particularly good basketball player either. So <laughs> the, the the story, as far as Warner goes, is is one of pure football, uh, uh, you know, talent. It, it the the man knew how to throw to the man knew how to throw a football better than just about anybody who's ever lived. I mean, he really was was poetry in motion throwing. Um, clearly not a, a physical specimen by any stretch. Uh, very natural player, but a, a, a beautiful passer of the football. And it so was great watching say, Warner uh, play. I don't think he deserves a movie, but it, it, Warner was was a fun guy to watch. So you're trying to say that we're going to see Big Bro Cool in a movie? I, uh, well, I'm not going to get into it, but there, there's another Big Bro Coolong who was in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was an actor for a time. Um, and if he knows that I just mentioned that, he'll he'll be pissed. But uh, it's it's fun to bring up with Christmas coming up. I'll I'll find ways to to mention the movie. So I'm he enjoys for, that. So I'm looking for Big Bro Cool in the YMCA when uh, Kurt Warner is <laughs> getting dunked on. I'm gonna say that's Neil's brother. That's Neil's brother back there getting. <laughs> Maybe they wrote him in. Wouldn't that be something? I have to. I'd have to watch the movie to find out. But well, let's show Warner showing up in the tank top, just giving one of these and throwing a few, throwing a few, and then going to work on his jumper. Let's close it on this. And I want to jump into a Yeah, I said it. And it came up about time management issues, timeouts, and Tomlin. And, and, and Tomlin is ripped over time management issues consistently. And there, I guess there was a, a case in this game where he didn't call any timeouts, I believe, at the end of the half. Yeah. Um, Titans, left. Titans had the ball um, late, and they were driving toward the end zone. Tomlin did not use any of the three timeouts that they had to stop the clock in an effort to – save some time for them to get the ball back. You know, maybe, what, what happened. you know, maybe I'm similar to, I mean, look, when I'm watching games, you know, maybe that's the whole for me. And, and my, yeah, I said it is maybe I'm just as I'm a, I'm a bad time management fan. <laughs> like, cause some of you guys out there are time management police. I mean, good oh, Lord. Yeah. I mean, you guys know, I mean, you, I mean, it's like, I mean, like I'm a time, I guess I'm terrible. I don't have a stopwatch. I mean, I'm watching the game. I'm not conscious of time management or whatever. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm just terrible, I guess, with time management. And, 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 I, and I think when the bullets are flying, I think coaches kind of get caught in other stuff. His explanations are, and they're weird after press conferences, which, which I think also frustrates fans. He's like, yeah, I was just That's, more concerned in getting a stop, which he's basically saying, F which, all of you time yeah, management. Basically, guys. which is, you know, true in, in, in either option. You know, that's what you want. I, I it, like most things with time management, the question comes down to what your ultimate goal is. Now, it, it's impossible to avoid that stopping the clock and seeing them score, which was highly likely at that point, um, it, it would have given the Steelers more time on the clock in, in with their final drive. Uh, but if, if you play the theory that, you know, timeouts can be burned to stop the clock in order to get the ball back, so you have a minute, something to that effect, you don't have any timeouts, so you can't stop the clock. If you have 30 seconds and three timeouts, I don't know how to break that down, but I promise you the decision was made somewhere in a, a, a matrix of those factors. Um, for me, I would have said it, it probably would have been best to call timeout in that situation. They're deep enough that a field goal is, is a given. Um, sure, you can block it, but that has nothing to do with the clock. Uh, from one manner of thinking, I think Tomlin is also saying, I want the clock to run, make them use a timeout. So that, that kind of takes away their, their run pass option. To a degree, um, I, I I don't get into it. I know that at the very least, Tomlin presents um, himself publicly as a guy that really doesn't care about those sorts of things. I think they can matter, but at the same time, I, I also think that detractors of it who want his job over it uh, are, are pretty ridiculous as well. I don't think let the situation see, merited see, me, that much animosity. It's see. more armchair quarterbacks getting the sense that they can be right on social media. And you they can bash the coach for, for that. I think I think the clock management police use it also as a way to poke at a coach's intelligence. Right. It is. I mean, it it's is. a poke at look, he's been. yeah, it's like look, he's dumb. I'm I can smarter. I can point to something definitively that calls out the ability of a coach. Yes. And that's why yes. it is called out so often. Yes. When in reality, and I want to get to Dave's comment here as well. 
in reality, there are so many things that happen in a football game. Time management is um, it, it's obvious to a point where you make the decisions you need to make. Uh, many coaches don't manage it that tightly. And the reason they don't is because it may or may not even matter. And that's not their focus uh, in terms of preparing the team to, to play the game. It's not that significant of a factor, in my opinion. Yes, it can be. But you have an offense on a 33-degree day with Ben Roethlisberger throwing the ball. You're not moving into field goal range without a miracle. So to be honest, keep the timeouts because that's what you're going to need. You're going to need to be able to throw 25 yards down the middle of the field and stop the clock. Not having timeouts and having time in the clock, when you're you're receiving a kick, they, they kick it out of the end zone. You're at the 25. You need to go for Boswell. You need to go what? call it 45 yards at least, right. you're going to have to put something down the middle of the field and you're going to have to stop the clock. You don't have a quarterback that can throw that far. So you, to me, I, it's perfectly valid to keep the timeouts for that. Um, you hope to get them off the field earlier than they did. My argument kind of went out the window when they got the, the first down at the 10. Um, and from there, they could really drain the clock down and they did. It, it doesn't always work that way. Um, you know, answer, I, I, answer this question from Steelers Wire. Do most teams have a specific guy for time management okay. during I, games? I would say I, yes. I would guess no. I, that seems like that's an expensive job. Like you got to do something else. It's, it's a yes. It's a pretty think of it like this. What are you going to pay a guy to yeah. fly him, give him per diem, study all of this because he absolutely can never be wrong, and yeah. put him inside the coach's headset for what designated moments? What what does he do? Stay timeout. Yeah, like that's his only job. Yeah, Why can't Mike Tomlin making nine and a half million dollars a year yeah. do that for himself? That's what they're saying. And I understand, though, there is value to it. I'm not against it. I'm just saying acting as if somebody can just come in and save them from themselves is nonsense. They don't want to spend money on more personnel that they have to bring around, that they have to plan for, that they have to, to pay. All of that is it's not. I don't think it's necessary to have somebody specifically doing that. There are teams that will have an assistant coach doing it. Those teams don't win the Super Bowl every year. You know, it's not a guaranteed uh, improvement on anything. Sometimes the game is just the way the game is. You don't want to screw it up. I'm not downplaying it. But at the same time, if you have been on an NFL sideline, you know that the state of complete and total chaos it is. It's not as simple as you think that it is. It's not you and your buddy up in the press box. Press boxes only have so many spaces too. keep that in mind. You can't just bring 900 people for, for specialty situations. You still have to communicate it. And you're doing that not face to face, but over headsets. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's hard. There's just a lot of things that go into it. And the right answer is the coach should be better prepared to handle those situations. I feel Tomlin could do more. I just don't feel that he's all that interested in it, and I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, clearly why. he is. I mean, he doesn't care. I mean, his answers. He, really, he doesn't. He doesn't seem yeah. to. Yeah. I don't. You know, the the, the, the soundbite in the press conference. He's going to give you a, a bullshit answer. He just does absolutely when he's talking about something uh, strategic. When he's talking about personnel, unless he has to speak to it, he's going to dance around it. He's not going to give you exactly why he's doing what he's doing. I think they do have somebody, and like I said, I think it's perfectly reasonable to say. There was a point in time that if they got the stop before the last touchdown uh, or the last first down would have made it goal to go. There was a point in there. The value of those timeouts was much higher to them after Tennessee kicked the field goal, getting the kickoff, than it would have been stopping the clock. You'd rather have the, the three timeouts with 24 seconds left than no timeouts in a minute. You are able to go down the middle of the field with timeouts. You are able to run the ball with timeouts. You can do more with them. So I would say, while people disagree with the fact they didn't use the timeouts, that's not the clock management situation he was preparing himself for. And the only thing he could really do was try to stop the team from scoring. And that obviously didn't work out, but it's not because Tomlin used or didn't use timeouts. So let's keep that in mind. Giving up points in that situation is what really matters here. And that's what Tomlin was talking about. This is interesting as we conclude the show. I'm looking at the divisional standings because I'm looking at NFL.com and it looks like that both Case Keenum and Baker Mayfield will continue to be in the protocols. So <laughs> Mullins is going to start for them. 
And I'm looking at the standings here now. I hear, I hear Steelers freak. It's going to be the third stringer there. <laughs> yes, he is in the above 55 league. Uh, and so, and also big up to my brother who turned 55 uh, on December 18th. Big up to him. Uh, I'm looking at the standings now with the Chiefs with the number one seed. The AFC is just a cluster. Um, you know, the Patriots <laughs> dropped the nine and five. Titans are nine and five. I don't know what the seeding is. I Chiefs do know turn the Chiefs, to lose, right? Chiefs the turn Chiefs, to lose. The Chiefs are the number one seed. Um, and, you know, it's going to be interesting. I, I think I would guess it's going to be difficult for the Browns to win with a third string quarterback. Also with your coach in protocols as well. But they're and playing so, first string Raiders. So who knows? And so now that uh, the Bengals are uh, number one in the AFC North because uh, the Ravens lost. Uh, to the Packers, and it was just a mis- mystery why Harbaugh went for it for two in that situation. I did not understand that one. We should do a um, show on that. That's you know that's oh that's weird, but th- th- this oh is boy. weird. I mean, I think what it's looking like, and I put this on Twitter a couple times. Um, that tie that the Steelers got is looming. It's 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 a thorn in their side. You win that football game against the Lions, you're eight and six, and you're in the mix, and you can control your destiny. That tie is going to be difficult because even if they went out, what would they be? Uh, they would be 10, 6, and 1. You know, I don't know if they're going to win all three of those games, but man, if you don't have that tie and you're 8 and 6 and you win two of the three and you can get to 10 and 7, um, you know, your chances of making the playoffs are a lot better. That, that tie is going to be a thorn um, in their side. Uh, you know, with them trying to get into the playoffs, nine, seven, and one could very well make it, but you've got a lot of teams in the mix. I mean, you've got the Patriots at nine and five, Bills at eight and six, Bengals eight and six, Ravens eight and six, Titans nine and five, Colts eight and six, Chiefs ten and four, Chargers eight and six, and that Colts team looks really good. I love their commitment to running the football. Quentin Nelson. Man, he was, he, he was killing Beast. guys. I mean, he was blocking guys. Me and my dad were watching him block guys to the ground. And guys are like, look, man, please, can you stop blocking me? The whistle has blown. Please get I, off of me. I, I hate to say this, but Quentin Nelson is like everything you wanted David DeCastro to end up being. Yes. And DeCastro was pretty good. But Nelson Nelson's legitimately one of the, probably the three best guards ever to live. And he might end up being the best by the end of it. He's flawless. He has no holes in his game at all. He is the absolute perfect offensive lineman. Yeah, his only hole might be Cam Hayward when Cam Hayward is hot, yep. sizzling, and cooking. Cam, hey, Cam gave him a game. I know that. They were beating on each other. That was if you're really into football, go back and watch that game. They 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 went to war. Both of them yeah. had their shots. It was great. Yeah, they that was a great game. But with that, we're gonna go ahead and conclude the program. We will be on again. Uh, we're gonna jump on. I'm I'm getting confused myself with the with with the changes. I think we're going to jump in on Thursday or Friday, uh, but but I'll let you guys know because I think Friday is Christmas Eve, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, we'll try to do it Thursday probably to get on before Christmas Eve, so you guys can spend your time with your families and listen to some Steeler football, some new standard podcast breakdowns. But with that. We're going to go ahead and conclude the show. Please give us a like and subscribe. We got a lot of new people on the program listening to the show. Rico, uh, Pino, Mr. and Mrs. Steelers fan. We've got a lot of you guys, a lot of new guys on the show, guys and gals on the show. So please give us a like and subscribe. Big up to Corey Hatcher as well. But we're going to get on out of here. And as always, tune in, tell a friend, and subscribe.